0: Welcome to the Roodle Love Podcast, a safe haven for eros, curious souls, and the questioning of what is. On today's episode, I have um, a very, very special guest for my oo oo interview, where I ask juicy questions to people that move me. Welcome, Caitlin Smith, um, a being of great resonance resonance yes Mm -hmm, yes mm -hmm. we are um delving into watery pictorial sonic depths today Mm. um we've already had some preamble um swims so we'll just keep going it's the new moon and it's a pisces watery one so Mm. we're going to have Lots of symbolic chats, um, lots of direct references to the stars and yes. and um, the wisdom held there, but also within our own bodies. We're going to be talking about the truth that is the um, the the knowing knowable of ourselves, and mm-hmm. um, plenty of room for the mystery as well. So. Whew. welcome my darling yeah yeah <laughs> it's such an honor and
1: such a joy and I may it be the beginning of many um because of course I can't shut up I was thinking before in relation to depth mm. you know that is something that's a, a fundamental of not only just the openness concept behind singing and songwriting and being but depth is something that I investigate on many many different levels so the depth of breath one of the things I talk about, to keep you busy for the rest of your life would be each inhale is breathed a little deeper down inside and each exhale becomes a release. Mm. And so you can conceptualize that any way you want to, but I, I sort of like guide people through different iterations of that. Firstly, you could see a little deeper down inside being on the body and the stomach and the pelvis and the legs and the knees, you know, so it's actually moving deeper and lower in the body is where you breathe and where you release but it's also underneath you if you're lying down you could actually go deeper the next one I take people through is is it a depth of love
0: yeah and so
1: basically I ask people to think of someone who they have you know an acquaintance with and then I want you to breathe in that love for that person and then breathe out to them whatever that love is and we're deepening 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 our idea of love and pulling to mind different people or keeping the same person up to you but basically Mm. that depth and i was just thinking because we were talking about the watery depths you know i am so happy down there and that isn't just saying hey i'm a strong swimmer i like i like talking about deep conceptual um psychotherapeutic themes as well yes you know uh, the underworld but you know i've i've got that Jupiter and, and Scorpio thing, which which was confusing to me because I didn't really understand what Scorpio was about until I realized it's not meant to stay as the scorpion. It's meant to transform into the eagle or the phoenix, which is what it represents. Huh. And also what's freaky shit is, you know, oh, my gosh, now we're going to get woo-woo on your ass, baby, Yay! which is the entire sort of going counterclockwise as it does the, the um, astrological chart. You are born Aries. You find nutrition and sustenance. Taurus and groundedness. You learn to speak and communicate and find information. Mm. Gemini. You learn to love play and create well. a home, and that's um, Cancer. Then mm. you learn to actually stand up and be heard, and um, and there's the play and the joy and the open heartedness and the loving, loving, loving of self. And then we have to heal whatever damage was done during Leo season. Oh, possibly <laughs> face first in the cheese dip with a carrot up your ass. And so you've got to actually take some personal responsibility. Hello, Virgo. And then you've got to make it so and clean up the mess that the lion left behind. Wow. You know, and then we stop with the personal, uh, uh, constellations and you then are able once you've done all the work. Cause what I'm saying is you've got to, you've got to move through each preceding one to get yes, to the next, right? Yes. Cause otherwise you just can't go through. And each year we're given the opportunity to go through the same pattern to learn, to learn, to learn, to evolve. So you, then you can start your relationship, Libra. Then you can deepen that relationship, become sexual. Um. Scorpio, mm. and then you've got all the trauma that that brings up because it brings up a lot of trauma, mm. and then you have Sagittarius. Hey, I'm done with my fucking healing process. I'm going to travel the world, adventure, teaching, yes. lots of fun, lots of belief systems to investigate. Whatever. What I didn't realize is with the Centaur that is based around w- what Chiron became as a planet, Centaurus mm-hmm. as a star. Sorry, um, you've got the uh, the bow and arrow, and the the arrow is actually pointing straight into the belly of the scorpion. That's something I didn't realize. Yeah, I know, which is really, really fun because then after that, after Sagittarius, you come home and what are you going to do with that PhD? What are you going to do with that knowledge and all that lived experience? You're going to set up governance. You're going to set up institutions. You're going to actually become the real authority on it. And then we join together with our collective, which is is Aquarius. (laughs) And then you've got your, um, your... collective unconscious, and and the depths of that. And that's really interesting because with songwriting, with teaching songwriting, I'm all down in or up in everyone's grill. I'm totally in their hearts to help them express themselves. So that's what I'm helping them do is like get to the issues that they wish to most express. And very often we don't know what those issues are until we express them. Oh, yeah. That's the interesting thing. Yeah. Like you know, from doing the Julia Cameron Artist Way stuff, which I've been doing like the morning pages, three nice. pages, longhand. Yeah. twenty-two years.
0: Yeah, you said that's oh, incredible.
1: So the thing about that is, you know, I didn't realize the magic that happens between page, between page two and three. That's wild, and I have to really curate it to actually do constructive things. What with does it. that
0: mean? Unpack that. So
1: there's three pages, and most people would kind of get to one and a half and go, Meh, I've got better shit to do with my day. They don't keep going. But if you keep going, the reward is probably the is high if you're running. Yeah. You know, is you actually get to, once you've got rid of the preliminary, you've described what the dreams were as you remembered them, you've described perhaps the blessings of the day before, I don't know, whatever, butters your muffin. Then you've got, you know, your mind clicks into something that is deeper. mm And you you get to the real issues because what is really funny, that is the most hysterically funny thing. It's like almost running interference with yourself. You don't realize what's really bugging you until you've got through everything and you've you've kind of cleared away all the trash. Yeah. And you go, oh, well, that's the real issue actually. That's what happened yesterday and I was actually putting off even remembering it because it was so hurtful or fuck that, you know, and – so that depth, I think it's joyous for me because I don't see any, I'm so acquaint, well acquainted with pain, I'm so well acquainted with, uh, with suffering that I actually think it's rich, it's fertile. Yes. You know, it's, it's basically, well, something will come of that because that's where my songs are at. You Absolutely. Know? And I wouldn't be able to write the songs that I write if if it was just if you weren't allowing yourself to oh feel. my god there'd be nothing to write about right you know Oof. and particularly one of the ones gunslingers and skeleton keys so I, my first stalker um was in 1994 which was the end of a relationship and he just would not let go and he was like so oh,
0: that you're saying
1: first yeah, yeah. i've had four God. And the second one was, you know, a homeless, alcoholic, bipolar, very dangerous person who Ugh. was on the, you know, North Shore District Court for threatening to kill. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, there's other, there's other relationships. Mm-hmm. Even within a relationship I was stalked. So the thing about this is I was working on the song. And I felt like it was actually drawing it, magnetizing more of that situation to me because it was a poem that was completely unrelated to me. It was actually about the city. And the poem itself is a completely different poem, and I love the poem, Um, but it's not about being stalked or anything. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually what what would happen, like, if the city were anthropomorphized and actually how does it hide its secrets? And then the cleaners come through at night and find these – these little, you know, the, the kinky bits that people are trying to hide. And, mm. all the rest of it. and it's really, it was a fun poem, Gunslingers and Skeleton Keys. But then I wrote it into a song, but, oh, my gosh, glacial in terms of writing because I wasn't going there. And as I said when I did go there I felt like it was drawing more negative shit to me so I didn't want to work on it it was like felt too potent and powerful and dangerous. So I went overseas for 3 months of traveling by myself mm. in in Europe in 2015 um and and then I got back and I realized I've got to actually go to the truth of it. I've got to go as deep as it gets. Otherwise I'm not going to find what's going to happen here. So Gunslings and Skeleton Keys. I mean, shit. Should I play it for you? It's
0: absolutely. Yeah,
1: okay, because that's a big one.
2: Consolable tonight, the streets won't stop crying. Your concrete guts churned up in your Is down and you fall asleep. They ride roughshod over your dreams. You're closing windows and locking doors. Still they wait outside till you come home. Hyper vigilant, vigilantes. Huh. Shadow. Singing. Gunslingers and Skeleton keys Rattle and stomp, but you can't get into the heart and be gunslingers and skeleton keys, gunslingers and skeleton keys, gunslingers and skeleton keys. Our eyes are black and white A hostage to their jealousy You swear each time you're gonna leave it. Where can you go? There's nowhere to hide and skeleton keys gonna and skeleton keys gonna and, and skeleton key yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. ah if soon as you hit the ground you run from this one horse town check by uniforms can't step to
1: That's yours, isn't it? Yes.
0: Yeah. Ooh. And it's a sneaky biggie because it's, it's got like playfulness and like this kind of digestibility that, you know, it's. Oh, that's a good thing in a song, <laughs> digestibility. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like it's very accessible. Huh. Um, ha! That's, that's good.
1: I mean, actually, that's brilliant because actually, I think the inaccessible songs are ones where people aren't authentic. Mm. and therefore you're not actually the person writing it doesn't get it so you don't get it interesting right so songwriting is about revealing not concealing oh my gosh and you know and that's the reason why when you go there you know it's a beautiful expression never let the um, reality get in the way of the truth (laughs) so you know you can use hyperbole and and it's better that you do because you know songwriters like Uh, Kate Bush was not actually inside the belly of the uh, pregnant woman during a nuclear holocaust that she sang from the perspective of the fetus, you know. (laughs) But uh, hey, uh,
0: what's the question for me? Yeah. So I guess to start us off, when we think about what makes you, you, what are the sort of foundational elements of, of Caitlin, um, How do you see yourself? Ooh. Um, Well, I see myself as a spirit in a physical
1: body. Mm -hmm. And I see myself as being very sensitive. That has been ridiculed Mm. my entire life. So from my family just would actually, it's like that (laughs) fantastic Hannah Gadsby thing, you know, where the, um, Mm -hmm. where the, uh, where the fart is complaining to the nose saying, don't be so
2: sensitive, you know, it's like, you know awesome. But,
1: yeah, I feel, I feel sensitive. I feel um, really um, my blindness is who I am. Mm. So I feel like um, that's a, a really strong part of my identity because I grew up blind uh, and my mother still doesn't acknowledge that I am blind. She's always saying to me, I should try harder. Wow. Uh, and, um, for her, I don't think she would ever, you know, I never identified or. or-, or- Got with the community, and so that's I think who I am is wanting to be the person who creates community Mm. because perhaps I haven't felt like I've belonged to one because Mm. they're not cohesed and they're not united. Mm. Um, Even though I have actually belonged to some really strong communities, like um, in terms of social justice, when I worked for Greenpeace Mm -hmm. in Toronto and here, and worked for Forest and Bird, and you know the social justice movement. We knew exactly who we were marching with every Friday night up the, up Queen Street shoulder to shoulder, you know, because we were there and we knew exactly who everybody was. And I also sort of was, uh, I worked in the, um, One World Books, which was a left wing book, um, mm-hmm. uh, bookshop on, on K Road, which also had the trade aid shop, which I had managed was a volunteer coordinator that there for, for just a, a small amount of time, but it was a really, a beautiful time in my life in the yeah. mid 90s because there was a real community there. Yeah. And and you know the musical community, like the poetry community, but in terms of blind, there's no community. And that's because the Blind Foundation um actually believe that it's like privileged information and privacy, so they don't share people who could be really helping each other, particularly parents of blind kids. With meeting adults with that condition, wow. right? They can't speak to that. They over smother or they overprotect protect or they, God knows what they do. These days, there's so much more support. Back in my day, I i grew up blind in mainstream school. Wow. So, you know, I didn't go to all Um, I went for a visit and just felt like I so don't belong here. mm. Uh, mainly because i cringe a lot with being the center of attention which is also my identity is really in a way an unfortunate one being (laughs) on stage because i don't want to be the center of attention i actually want to hide because i I, the negative attention that blindness gives you particularly when i used a cane i'm using a cane now because i want to make the cane 60 again uh, 60 again campaign globally nice you know because so many people are like no 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 we want to be blind don't don't think that it's something you should be ever ashamed of it's like you know especially cringe cringe because i'm gaining vision the same way that people uh lose their vision with age i'm gaining it and and that is really horrible to me because i don't want to see people's faces i prefer not to see detail i prefer not to see mm-hmm. anything that ends up being distracting mm. so you know that has given me a real crisis of identity but what makes me me i think it's all about that that really intensely spiritual side what was completely denied me and and invalidated and ridiculed by my academic parents.
0: Right. You know,
1: and, and that adult world that they live in, you know, totally shuts shuts children out. You know, my parents' best friends were the Steads, And so the uh, Kay and, and Carl Stead. And they supported their children. Hugely, Charlotte Grimshaw and Margaret Stead and Oliver, you know, they, they were always respected for having their own opinions. And I remember being insanely jealous mm. at a dinner party um, mm. because I saw the way Carl would support um, Margaret's beliefs and honoured and, honored and oh, agreed wow. with her position. And so I was you like, saw? Oh, my God, I saw what would have been an alternative right. because I've right. only okay. been criticised and put down. And so I feel that. So that's, that's a hard thing to let go of, despite my age. You know, I think that's the reason why that satin square that I was referring to before is kind of like having the finger on the paws. which is referred to in the poem. It's, it's this idea that, you know, you've got all this amazing talent. You've got all these things that are moving mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. but you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I you know, I was asked by um, my counselor, you know, do you want to be... Do you want to be seen? And I said, no, you know, but I then had a caveat to that, but I want to be heard. I knew it. Yeah. You know, and, but that's also a really interesting thing about the world we live in, you know, that is totally geared
0: for the visual. Yeah. Um, yeah. So
1: basically, you know, those things like all the content these days is mm-hmm. for the eyeball. Mm-hmm. People put, All this text on screen, Mm -hmm. but they're not providing a narration. Mm -hmm. Yes, you've got your audio books. Cha-ching. This is great. It's a move in the right direction. Yeah. But not so with the content that's provided. Here's a hot tip to all of the people who are making video content. Yes. Please don't go to an empty screen and provide the most important information in a written form. And fuck you, subtitles. Mm. You know, I, I... I love photography and movies because I can actually magnify it with a photo mm-hmm. and actually go in and see detail I wouldn't otherwise see. The front row of a movie when it's 30 foot high, I can see shit that I wouldn't have seen. Like I, I could go to Paris and, and I could be in the city but I won't see it. Mm-hmm. I won't see that city. Mm-hmm. But I see a movie of it and I go, oh, wow, is that weird? Because <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't need to, by the way. Mm. You know, that's the interesting thing about people thinking they need to see. Why? Why is that, that so important other... to you? Why? Yeah. Because it already exists. You don't need to see it. You know, that's the whole back to the whole seeing is believing thing, hey? Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: Um, mm. Aww. um Hello for your video. Oh, my go- God, look at that. Whoa. What is it? What is it? Oh my God. Oh, your nature chart. Yeah, that that's, that's <laughs> happens to be there. I love it. Well, So yeah. we're sat in <laughs> Caitlin's beautiful um, salon space with your, with your um, piano and sat across from each other in this incredible environment. And there is so much more than what meets the eye. There's oh, the feeling, okay. the nourishment. Mm. I mean, the first thing that you did when I came in was offer me a beautiful cuppa, with all of these nourishing ingredients within it, um, I can smell this incredible stalk flower behind me. Mm. Um, There is so much richness in all these these other senses and to be embodied, actually. Mm. You know, you you speak to this a lot when you talk about um, the healing components of um, your singing lessons, Mm -hmm. that it's much more than just the... Delivery of song, or yeah. the um, honing of the skill. Yes, there is a, a truth and uncovering of who you are, and what what your being wants to express. Mm, mm, um, mm, mm. And and all of that is the, is the component of the here and now. It's not. Mm. Um, I totally agree with you that. Um, Aesthetics only take us so
1: far Would you know there was a quote today In the Divine Harmony That sounds like a stripper name I know Um, (laughs) But she is Where is it Um, I'm just going to say Divine Harmony Astrology And see where that takes me Um, Because it was really interesting In terms of the Pisces New Moon Um, Oh come you And it had this really really good um, quote Which I absolutely adore Because you know my my great grandmother was uh, Kate Edgar, who was the first woman in the British Empire to get a BA.
2: Oh my God!
1: You know we wouldn't have the vote here if it wasn't for her because she was used by the suffragettes to demonstrate that you know you don't um, if you educate women, and this was in 1873. So this is a long time ago. You know, I mean, she was the first in the British Empire, and and even if it was in the states, they were different topics for women than for men. But she was chemistry, mathematics. Um, you know, she was I doing know the do. No
0: name, I had no idea. Yeah, so the
1: Kate Edgar Center, which ah. is in the Auckland, um, Auckland University, the the Kate Edgar Commons. So what she did is she did. She was an amazing woman of faith because her her father, the Reverend Samuel Edgar. Um, Believed in the education of women, and also Lillian with the the four daughters. Lillian Edgar became the two IC to Madame Leblatsky with the um, Theosophy movement. Set up a school in India with Krishnamurti and was really really involved. Would like travel around. That was her little sister. Wow! And she just was. Kate was just such an amazing person. Set up with her husband, another minister, Welshman um, William Evans, was um, uh, the Ford movement. Which I didn't even realize was still going today. When I went to the States, it was so amazing. I went around the world walking the labyrinths. And when I was recently in Portland, there were four that we got to walk. Um, oh. So, yeah. So this is a really interesting device, How many, the new moon and Pisces thing. And I wanted to give you the the unseen quote because oh, yes. it's actually really amazing. Oh, yes, please. And the whole thing is great, by the way. And also the werewolf and the squirrel. What the? Um, and all the semi-sextiles. Woo! Um, <laughs> I okay. love
0: how there's nuance beyond The heart nuance. needs to
1: be leading the way in mm. this lunar cycle
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in the Saturn ingress. Saturn in his essence is not about heart, compassion or emotion. He is about boundaries, grounding, stability and containment mm. at his best Saturn in Pisces is about creating solid containers for love and emotion. Mm. But shadow Saturn in Pisces would be about blocked emotion, closing the heart. We have a choice in how we choose to move into the cycle. Um, so I'm just going to find it because it's, oh, we defer to Saturn. Higher heart, crown, Saturn, Neptune is dreams. Saturn is what is. It's duality there. Um, ultimately, the journey is bringing them into union so they can inform and relate to each other instead of polarize. Can we ground our dreams into reality? Can we see both what is possible and also what is real at the same time? Can we be in our hearts and spirits while still being grounded and in the body? Um God damn it, it's quite a long post. Um uh, Oh
0: you know what? Maybe it wasn't even that one. It well I quite like that. I like the oh. I like the firm containment that you can have this Yes um the duality. Yeah. Work with it. I
1: mean that's what I'm trying to do with my satin square. So yes. in other words I'm trying to work with satin. I'm mm. I'm actually What I find really fascinating, Kronos, Saturn. So Kronos was Chiron's father. Mm -hmm. And so time allows you to mature and find mastery. But also what is wonderful is it allows you to look back, whereas if you didn't have time, you wouldn't have a way of going, what was I doing last year, five years ago, 10 years ago? And therefore, you wouldn't have that stock taking element of thinking, well, how am I doing here? What have I done? Mm. What do I still need to do? Mm. I, I can't remember where it was, but it was in relation in relation to we really what is most important are those things that we, we cannot see. Mm. And I can't
0: remember where I saw the quote.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. Damn it. And I thought it wasn't there, but it's
0: not. No, you said I'm it. Sorry. <laughs> we so we were talking you were talking about the blind community or the the lack thereof. Mm. What other types of communities do you find yourself in or that have nourished you? That's interesting because I wouldn't necessarily know them as
1: communities as opposed to sort of individual friendships because I think, you know, if I were the kind of person who was going to like spirit festivals or resolution festivals and feeling that those people were part of my tribe, you mm-hmm. know, something, there was a lot of spiritual tourism out there. Yeah. And for me, spirit is entirely my own business you know, God is love, love is God. So when people actually say they don't believe in God, they're basically saying they don't believe in love. And it's really sad. Interesting. Because that is like, they've obviously got some negative associations and connotations around the, the concept God of God. word God certainly yeah. has been yeah. bandied about. That's because it's been colonized by organized religion, which is absolute ass. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, basically we are spiritual beings. If you actually kind of work with that, then your life is a thousand times better and i mean like i affiliate probably strongest with Taoism. yes because you're working with something rather than against it as you said going with the flow yeah and and you will be given so much evidence as to wrong path you know that's not (laughs) the right path for you and then you will given like the frictionless flow of a hydra slide if you're going with something you actually that is right for you Mm. you know Mm. and and so what was the
0: question Oh, well, I like that you're, oh, community. Yeah. yeah because and I, I, I felt like, so it's more about the interpersonal, like the it's almost one on one, would you say? I would say it
1: would be, no, I mean, it's actually almost about the entirely personal. But if you find other people, like I don't need a congregation is what I'm saying. So Where, I don't need people to chant with me or do anything like that. Some people do. And God bless. That's fantastic. If that's your bag, if that's your bag. Um, I think there's a beautiful thing that comes from the communion of singing together. Like mm. that's why I love harmonizing so much, mm. you know. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to be harmonizing with the music that I'm making. So it's still me being a self-sourcing pudding. You know, I don't necessarily need those other aspects to it. And, and you know, I'm, that makes me sound like a real lone wolf and I really don't want to be. But what I'm aware of is, you know, my to find people who don't ridicule my spirituality mm-hmm. has been quite a hard journey because because of the academic just absolute evisceration of what's weird is, you know, m- my parents would say they are art appreciators and lovers and they had all sorts of amazing art around mm-hmm. the house and music around mm-hmm. the house when I was growing up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But at the same time, they, they are not creating themselves, Mm. as Julia Cameron would call, blocked creators, and they're the most hostile of all because they're actually angry at those people who are expressing themselves. Mm. They will put it down because they can't face it in themselves. So they will insult it and they will denigrate it. Mm. Um, And they will say, this is the canon. There's no reason why you should add to it because it's already been created. And it's like, wow, you seriously are not... A creative then, you know, because it's not for other people's benefit. You know, you talked about what nourishes an audience and what nourishes me. Well, the music and the creation, the creative process nourishes me. If people get that too, and they will because it's authentic and real. Yes. But it's not my responsibility how they, re- how they receive it. Oh, wow. At all. And if I were, that would be pandering to someone and it wouldn't be authentic. And, right. Oh, my gosh, talk about articulate. David Bowie is so articulate about that, you know, because he really was yes. a genuine artist. Oh, I haven't watched the, the new documentary. Oh it's great, great oh. daydream. Oh, it's so good. And you know, numerologically speaking, he's a 303, which is very
0: interesting. Anyway.
1: Why is that? Um, just because it's really heartfelt emotional expression as opposed to just, as you said, aesthetic expression yeah. of something artistic and beautiful. Uh-huh. I mean, there's a wonderful there was a podcast, I think, an interview with um with the director of the film, and uh, Tony Visconti was taking him through all the, the footage, this huge, like, years of footage in the vault. Oh. And he was going through one and he isolated the vocal track and it was actually him weeping between S- I just want to live, singing the line I just want to live, I just want to oh. live, and weeping because his brother was um, w- was in the RAF. And had PTSD, but actually developed schizophrenia from it and actually was institutionalized. And he didn't want to wind up institutionalized like his brother. Mm. So he worked with the demons. He worked with the, the disquiet in his mind and made it into art, particularly painting, which is so beautiful. Like, his painting is gorgeous. And Joni Mitchell's painting is just amazing. I mean, I personally don't paint because it's got the aspects of color that I can't... Mm-hmm be friendly with because i don't see color
0: Mm. you don't see color no just in a chromatope okay
1: yep yeah but i also don't know what the fuss is about because it's like well meh if you've never had it you don't miss it true which is also true of the reason why i really want to be speaking to people who've recently acquired blindness Mm -hmm. the gift of blindness because they will be losing something but i never lost anything Mm. So I can really help them go, well, you don't need it anyway. I know you think you need it. I know you think you're losing the most important thing in your life. And I've been brought up around so many artists who would go, I would rather die than be blind. I mean, think of the premise for Dancer in the Dark, which is that Von Trier film with Yeah, And she's dropping her glasses in the last frame, you know, being executed. In other words, saying, I would rather die than be blind. Yeah. Fuck off.
0: I know. I had a very similar experience in art school where, um, I started to develop a topical dermatitis. Mm. And so the material that I was working with was causing destruction to my skin. Yeah. And so I had that experience of not being able to use the tools Mm -hmm. that, um. Were most natural to you. Yeah. And the thing that, you know, I was like trying to basically like earn the grade, participate, Mm graduate art school um, and there was that kind of like fork in the road of like well, what do you do if you don't have your hands if you're an artist um, concept honey and you know you just have really good teachers who are there to go hey like please don't become an apparition of yourself I remember one of my mm-hmm. one of my teachers said that you you you're like an apparition come back just use your mind write in your journal keep the ideas going you can still be here yeah and was that Joyce? Who was it? Oh, no, it was back in New York. Oh, I see. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. But see, there's always, there's always those teachers.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wherever I mean, you are. One of the joys is, um, you know, of, of my generation is, like, we have become the teachers, you know. And, I mean, not to say that anyone can't become a teacher, but, you know, it is, like I was saying before, it is interesting that we can support each other so well. Oh because yeah! Because that's the thing that happens. You know, artists are so supportive of artists. There's nothing more beautiful True. than than the tiny little bespoke communities that can happen. True. Things like, for example, and one of my favorite songwriters is is Guy Clark, and he mm. and his wife Susanna, who was a painter and songwriter and mm. unfortunately an alcoholic, um, would sit around with all the other songwriters of that time. Um, uh, what is it? <sighs> Towns Van Zant and mm-hmm. um, Steve Earle and um, uh, the 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 names will come to be and um, basically they'd sit around reading poetry to each other and helping each other write their songs. Beautiful. You know, and that's one of the things that I'm so I feel so privileged to be part of mm-hmm. is that you know because this particular lounge on this particular rug, which is a Shiraz, that's the name of it, um, <laughs> has been the place where a lot of people have found sanctuary. And particularly those students who i have helped write songs, some for the very first time, because my thing is about helping people write, you know, and I really am passionate about that because when I started, you know, as a jazz singer, I was always singing the standards and they're great and Mm -hmm. they're amazing, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to actually say the stuff that they weren't saying. So it just gets to a point where if you're used to the fluency of having a medium like poetry where you know you can express to a certain extent and go, I can drop the mic now. Yes. You know, and feel like that's, that's a wrap, you know. Yes. I'm happy with what came out then. Because the revelation is also the reward in itself as well. So mm. when you talk about what nourishes... Less so them, much the product as the process. You Damn mean? straight. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it is a product of it because revelation is the product of the process, but that's not necessarily... For, I mean, it's shared. Obviously, it's a gift that's shared because you're receiving the revelation and then you're sharing that revelation. Yes. Like the song, The Long Game, uh, came up with the same conclusion of one of my poems, which was called um, Afraid of Angels. And the Afraid of Angels poem sort of has a twist in its tail, and most of my poems do, mm-hmm. of stuff that I had no cue, c- clue about. Mm. Which was actually the person who's who's a seraphim hunter. He's basically a person who keeps killing angels mm. because they remind him of what is most he most detests in himself, like the, the feathered, the unprotected, the feminine, the yeah. you know. So I really nice. love the poem. I love the poem. Um but it actually came out with this amazing conclusion that we we are angels that, you know, look in the mirror and realize that you are an angel too. So you're, you're killing yourself, you know, and and that was something that was then developed into the song later on. But it all feeds, it feeds itself. And I love the, the little tastes of community that we can have. Like we had a house concert at Julie Mason's place the other day and, um, it reminded me of what would happen when I was a drinker and that was my community was the drinkers going to the pubs because I'd be at the Mese, I mean, not the Mese, but the the London bar every weekend watching the jazz there. Yeah. And then became one of the people who performed jazz there. But, you know, I mean, it had closed and changed by the time I, I made it there. And, you know, I would just look up to all these jazzers mm-hmm. who were like um, Frank Gibson Jr. And, and Tony Hopkins and people like that, who really were so supportive of me when I was definitely not supportive of myself at all. Mm. And the language of jazz is something I'm really fluent in. But I remember Azure McCall, this amazing um, um, jazz singer from uh, she's she's based in Hawaii, and um, Azure. Azure McCall, yeah. Oh. And my, my friend, who was the drummer who was playing with her, sort of literally dragged me by the wrist to meet her and said, <laughs> This is Caitlin. She wants to be a jazz singer, but she's really shy. She's sitting there shaking and she said, No, honey, you can't be shy. You're going to do this. You know, it's basically <laughs> implying that you, you have snot all over your face. And that's true. I remember actually being at a, an outdoor festival with my band and, you know, we were redefining the genre, honestly. I am such. A engaged, passionate performer. Like there's mm. nothing that I'd leave out. Truth. Everything is going to be in Truth. there, what I'm giving. Physically, emotionally, everything is in it. Yeah. And I think, well, bar a couple of substances, I had everything that could be excreted on my face.
2: <laughs> and I turned
1: around and honestly there was snot, sweat, tears, um, saliva. Wow. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I was, I was like going, God, how do you do that? I mean, Elvis, I needed my little white towel. But yeah. anyway, you know that. How did I get onto that with community? I think it's just what Is Your McCall was saying. You know, in in terms of, it's it's very often misunderstood that performers, songwriters are also shy. Yeah. Because we're really misrepresented as being, oh, you want to be up on that stage? You love it? You love it? It's like, no, I would sooner eat my own entrails. That's the reason I melted down on tour and had a month-long panic attack is because I'm, I, I'm comfortable singing and playing. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be the centre of attention because of all my blindness. Mm-hmm. So if I can just pretend, and this is what I said to audiences when I was touring around, this is just my front room. You guys, welcome to my front room. This is nice. <laughs> This is my lounge. Here we are. Nice. You know, I'm, I'm at home here
0: because. I appreciate that. I mean, a lot of what you speak to is around bringing forward some stories or narratives that need to be shared. Yeah. What do you think is specific or special to or unique to, shall we say, Aotearoa? Like what is it that mm.
1: okay. is here? Yeah. Okay. So we have some things mm-hmm. that are actually kind of counterproductive. There's the tall poppy syndrome, as we all know, yes. which is so alien to the states they just don't have a concept of that. Yeah. They are very And for people who don't know,
0: tall poppy syndrome. Yeah,
1: it's it's the bringing down the highest the tallest. The tallest poppies will be decapitated. Yeah. Um, because they are seen as a threat. That's and horrific. also it ties in <laughs> it is it ties in with the island mentality of there only being room at the top for one person or two Mm. people and very limited resources, Mm. and so there's not enough to share, and it's really an experience of lack rather than abundance. Mm. So, you know, the whole thing is, no, you can shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to make it shine. Mm. But unfortunately, that's not what we're told. So we're told to dumb and dull and hide. And so those stories, which are the most important stories, um, because you know, I think the dominant elite, white male, you know, moneyed elite yes. has actually had the microphone able-bodied yep. too long. Yep, and we actually need to give a voice to those voices that have been silenced and are not heard. And that's a really sensitive issue for a lot of people who actually are unaware of their privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the hardest thing. Is it's I- a
0: lot of unpacking.
1: Well, they're just really uncomfortable with the fact that, oh, you mean I can't be heard? And it's like it's not a question that you can't be heard. It's just giving someone else a go. Yeah. You know, and for in, in New Zealand, I think it allows us due to just the, the smaller scale, the capacity to have an incubator to do your, do your thing. Yes. Um, like, for example, when I went to the States and, and sort of sang with these amazing Grammy Award-winning jazz musicians and just, wow, um they they immediately just accepted me because I was seen as being New Zealand's greatest. And so they just took that as red. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'm the greatest in a country. It may be a country
0: of five million,
1: but, you know, whatever. I mean, and, and even to say I'm the greatest in this country is absolute ass. But, you know, it's like I've definitely done my miles. Mm. And and I think that's the other thing about being in New Zealand is we're less likely to make a livelihood out of art and being a performer. Because in the States, like the people I know, like Vanessa McGowan and Cy Winstan, Tattle Tale Saints, they've gone over to live in, in Nashville and have full-time touring, full-time musician jobs. Whereas most of the musicians I know would at least be teaching. Mm. And I teach as well, obviously. Mm. I'm, and I've put more energy and time and thought and existence into teaching than I have my own career. For sure, wow. and that's the whole putting other people forward before myself, and sort of waving goodbye with the ticker tape as the ship sails, going, "Oh, there's another one," you know, because um, because I don't. I've even been told by someone, maybe maybe cursing me by saying, "You're too much of a fan to be your own star, an artist." Because I do fangirl on people. I love being in an audience and like ah, oh, just losing myself and being. I an have audience.
0: seen you. You yeah. you are the usually the only person dancing. <laughs> yeah,
1: just that. Yeah, yeah. And and I am the audience. Like I actually mm. have artists come up to me who will actually tell thank me for being there. Yeah, you know. And I think that comes from my sight condition as well because I can't see all of the other people. Um, maybe not engaging. Mm -hmm. I can't see other people's responses, so I'm not um, in any way affected by that or influenced by that. Now, that's an interesting thing as well about magnificent performers like um, Aldous Harding, Mm -hmm. you know, because I found it so hard to keep my arm up with my miniscope to to keep focused on her because she was working in a very almost 100% visual way. She was keeping... All of the band under the thumb of no facial expression whatsoever. Whoa. And she herself would kind of stay in character, mm. but not allow the face to be expressive other than the contortions that were not contrived but what she was deliberately putting out. So it's more of a kabuki. It's a very theatrical oh. thing. And I'm not disrespecting it. It's just totally different. I was remember thinking when I left that concert, there's 100% different for me, you know, in terms of usually I'm kind of wetting myself with excitement and I cannot contain myself mm-hmm. and so is the band mm-hmm. because it's such an improvised thing. It's not under the thumb.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not controlled. It is complete loss of control, which I'm very happy with. Nice, you know, because that is that is improvisation, and you don't know what's going to happen. But that's great, because do you really need to know what's going to happen? I am so the opposite of your archetypal Virgo. Not even absolutely. There's nothing clean about this house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, you are this incredibly prolific being. You know, you're constantly writing. You're constantly performing. Um, where is the, like, what is the thing that feeds and nourishes so that that is a sort of replenishing act? What, what, what recharges you? What nourishes you?
1: Well, that would be a spiritual thing because it's, that's, that's drawing from the deeper well. Mm. That's it. I mean, like the deeper well is there. It's constant. I mean, I love this really beautiful, um, first nation, uh, concept of our, stream of consciousness needs to be kept pure because otherwise it will flow into the collective stream of consciousness and then that's going to pollute it. So, you know, we have to keep our streams clean. And I think what I do keeps my stream clean. I think what ends up happening is that's always challenged every step of the way, mainly by my relationships, mm. by my family life and by my relationships. It's constantly sort of challenged challenging me and it's almost like the grit that creates the pearl you know it creates a lot of what I'm putting out creatively but it's also really really nothing can be taken for granted because it's not easy sailing it's not an easy situation so I'm constantly trying to understand and I think with that support I mean I really really feel it like the reason why it's called The Long Game is because I absolutely feel there's ancestral support and there's angelic support or spiritual support or whatever you want to call it, you know, love. Um, but I honestly feel like I ask for it when I walk the labyrinth and I stand in the middle of the labyrinth and I'm actually facing all the different directions, asking for the angels and ancestors to mm. help guide me into the situations which will teach me the most, where I can be most loved mm. and where I can give the most love because they've got unfinished business. But I have to be very specific on that because I've asked to be put in those situations where I can help the most and I've been put in really dangerous situations before. Good to know. So I have to, now I learned that lesson, phew, okay, so I don't want the police to get involved or or, or Oranga Tamariki. We want to actually just keep this on the stuff that's going to be most light, fluffy, joyous and beneficial to all.
0: Speak to the labyrinth. Oh, what is, what does this labyrinth yes, speak eh? of? Okay.
1: Well, I mean, uh, I could even show you my um, my CD. Has I have it?
2: Oh, true. I didn't
1: bring it. But... I'll give you the copper feel. Mm. So, on the front cover, on the front cover of the CD is um, Braille, and it's a picture of me looking into the center of the labyrinth, which is outside St Mary's Church in. Panel and inside is a tactile labyrinth of the Chartres Cathedral medieval design, and the one that's the uh, in in outside Holy Trinity is a classic labyrinth, which is like the brain. So the cross in the middle is the brainstem, and so you could actually I haven't mapped out where each part of the brain controlling whatever would be, but that's the that's the brainstem, mm.
0: right?
1: So that's
0: what it is but every single element I went to this amazing and this place. was a really intense production yeah I mean 13 years the pain that you but the the dedication and the persistence the dogged determination to yeah. get this yeah. out the way you wanted it to yeah, be yeah 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 and I it. literally mean the package this yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly because there was an evil print broker and and there were all sorts of like behind the scenes nastiness going on and it totally blew out a budget, and that's the reason why Bob's there to project manage this thing and basically say, nah, we're going to keep this double album because we want to keep the tactile elements, we're going to keep the labyrinth theme going. It's so beautiful. And there's an inner ear labyrinth, you know, and that's what's in the liner notes as well as explaining the kaupapa behind what it is to be centred, what it is to be on a journey but to know you're on the right path. There is no wrong path. That's the difference between a maze and a labyrinth. So the oh. labyrinth only has. Did you not know that there's a liner
0: notes explaining all this? Oh. I hope you did because it's in the CD. I just love that the way you said that landed so beautifully.
1: Okay. So here is the explanation with a picture of the, I'm just unfolding the um, the liner notes here. Um, so it's got the lyrics of the song with the photos of where I recorded my footsteps pertaining to the song. Mm-hmm. So there's also a picture of a, an anatomical sketch of the inner ear labyrinth. Um to say, you know, that's how we, uh, how we find balance and that's when you're standing in the center or even when you're walking around, you're realizing that this is okay, you're on the right path. You can't be on the wrong path because it's only one path. <laughs> so you go in and you go out and what is really interesting about it is walking it with other people
2: mm-hmm.
1: because that's kind of like the whole Buddhist catch bullet for, you know, um, you are walking on the path with others. Mm. and the the tenth stages of zen that's right um and you know when you're walking the path with others you're not you're not in, in anyone's way mm. we've got different paces mm. but it's still the same path and that's the reason why i love the fact that we can we can help each other but you know what i went to this amazing place in the netherlands um which is called angel place and it uh, this guy's made his life's work to build all these different labyrinths like Miles and miles and miles of labyrinths from uh, the Celtic design, which is the three um, spirals. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful one. Um, the Chinese, the um, Egyptian, the Nordic ones that are so old they can't be dated. I mean, mm. it's just the Hopi one. There's a lovely one up here. Oh.
0: Um,
1: it's a Hopi labyrinth.
0: So oh, that one's got wow. your guy in the middle. Oh, that's... And that, and that kind of feels like a radiating sun to me, this yep.
1: one. Yep. It's a lovely one. And when you walk them, you know, you can look at them, fine, or you can trace them with your fingers, but when you're actually walking them, it's mm-hmm. a totally different story. Yeah,
0: you're in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I love it. And, I mean, there are a lot of people, there's this coolest thing called the Labyrinth Locator, which basically ah! will find you one wherever you are in the world. And when I was traveling, like I said, when I was traveling around New Zealand in the in the tour in 2021 when I had my month-long panic attack, mm. Nelson Cathedral, where my Kate Edgar, my great-grandmother, set up Nelson School for Girls. In Nelson Cathedral there is a, a beautiful labyrinth, a classic design labyrinth, which I walked and it was so necessary. There's my friend's place, uh, um, Sol, who's in Mana Retreat. There's the lovely um, Chartres, uh, medieval labyrinth there. Um, wherever there was a labyrinth, I found one. Mm. And it was really, really great because – that is kind of like, yeah, it's plugging into the mains for me. That's that was something that kept me going throughout the the lockdowns. Was I could crow fly walk through the domain mm-hmm. for twenty minutes and get to the labyrinth mm-hmm. and then walk back. And we all needed to do that. And there's one in St. Columbus Church, but it it needs to be painted. I want to make been one sitting there. Yeah. I actually, that was one of my dreams, was at the launch of the CD to kind of like actually set one of the. You, you get a lot of people who have um, for festivals and stuff. They actually have like yeah. a tarpaulin kind of labyrinth that you can just fold out or roll out. You know, it's it's better kind of to have permanent ones mm-hmm. because like the one this one obviously I walk barefoot and it's so much fun because it's grass. Yeah, and that's lovely because you're just checking into the mains, and that's when I go around – Kind of the same way – I'm going to make me sound like a complete wanker because I'm not Rumi, but when Rumi discovered that swinging around a pole was the thing that really made things um, click for him and that became the whirling dervishes, Mm -hmm. um, walking the labyrinth gives me all sorts of really, really interesting intel in terms of I'll be working through the chakra system. And what is crazy is I often talk about, you know, each time I go through I'll say – and starting the prayer wheels flying and the prayer prayer wheels um, spinning and the prayer flags flying, mm. a friend of mine um, showed me through the church and it happened to be Sir Edmund Hillary's, the, the standard that was given to him and, and a quilted thing made for him for his knighthood was from Nepal, I guess, you know, right. where they had all these prayer wheels on it. And I went, oh, damn, I've just been doing this right outside. This is so cool. You know, this is great. And just going through each time realizing there will be more revelations for me. Like, for example, intimacy, you know,
2: Mm -hmm. when you're
1: seeing into the self, you're seeing into everyone because there's, you could argue, there's only one intimacy because there's only one of us here. We've got separate bodies. But therefore, if you can see into yourself, you can see into the other. And vice versa, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're doing a good job in self-analysis. That so is tricky.
0: With. That is an interesting one. Because I, I feel very familiar with the act of intimacy, as in knowing myself, but um, knowing the other feels like a trickier component of that.
1: Well, we're the same. We, we actually have the same misgivings, fears, insecurities, and all the rest of it. It's just we've got different histories Mm-hmm. So we process things differently. Mm-hmm. We've got neurodiversity. We've got all the other things that are going on, but that doesn't mean that we're not the same substance because we're all made of the same substance. We just have different bodies. Oh, gosh. So, you know,
0: it's- I it's think i a socialized American. So like the idea of being so individual is like ah. hard- hardwired. <laughs> yes. Isn't that
1: interesting? Because actually that's something that, that is being asked of us specifically with the uh, Pisces new moon is like, because it's duality to do with Pisces, one fish swimming one direction, one swimming in the other. It's asking us to look at the what is harmful and hurtful in individuation, mm-hmm. in, in in you know individualism. I should mm-hmm. say, um, as opposed to actually honouring that the group has has so much power and we yes. do have to honor the group. We do have to look after the group. That was the fascinating thing about what was going on with such division with the anti-vax stuff was was happening Yeah, because, you know, it's a, an immense. Stop being about collective. Yeah, it's an immense act of care to say I want to protect the most vulnerable. Yeah. It might not be me that's most at stake, but I want to look after my grandparents. I want to look after, you know, and that's true of anything. But, wow we've become so atomized. Yeah. And, and that is not helping anybody because we do need each other and that interdependence is something that blind and disabled people are very, very, very aware of because mm. it's such a ooh, clawing and, and gnawing um, issue for us is our dependence and we don't want to be a burden and we don't want to, you know, be in the way and we don't want to be heavily weighing on anyone and we want to be able to be self-determined. And, and that is such a pain to so many of us because, you know, um, I had a scary thing happen to me where it was just a rogue taxi driver who wouldn't take my total mobility card and charge me full fare where it's usually uh, it's now 75% subsidized for taxi mm. travel. Um, and, wow, I thought something was wrong with my card and I was distraught because that's my freedom. You know, to go and visit friends and stuff, you know, because catching public transport is so anxiety-provoking. Right. Yeah. Anyway, you had other questions?
0: No, oh. <laughs> I feel, well, they're incredibly holistic answers, so I, I think I'll sort of cap off or round out. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. Fine, oh you're fine. It's Delicious. <laughs> so
1: no. I did my Virgo prep for today mm-hmm. and I actually answered your questions. You and did. Sent you the email attachment of me answering those questions and
0: um flip to the back and you'll see my this this last question that I have for you. Yes. Um well I actually have some surprise questions that I kinda of want to be impromptu okay. off the cuff. Okay. But that one around um, what is it that you want for the world? That everyone heal their freaking trauma and get real instead of
1: numbing and, and denying. Um, give everyone access to the means of their vocal and creative production, accessibility. Um, and I also I think I said on what, what is my message, love, sweet, love. Yeah, ah! what the world needs ah! now is love, sweet, love for sure. Just in honor of Burt (laughs) Bacharach. Yeah, I do want to demystify many processes. I want to demystify voice use Mm -hmm. um, or vocal production. I want to demystify the songwriting process Mm -hmm. and the the process of of creativity. I want to demystify what it is to be blind. Um, But I also want to demystify all of the spiritual aspect because people are just so phobic. Of it they're actually frightened and that's the interesting thing about a musician or a creative person we fucking work with that shit mm-hmm. we are every day tapping into the source into the mains mm. s-o-u-r-c-e as opposed to s-a-u-c-e but could I be like the same so- thing I like ah. but I anyway, so saucy um definitely i would say i i feel there's personally a crusade for me to allow people to get more in touch with their love. I mean, that's what one of the songs from You Have Reached Your Destination is prayer for a miracle, mm. you know, and that was mm. me writing a song and multitasking because I was in the shower, I was warming up, I was praying, and I was also uh Writing song.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so, you know, dear God, I pray for a miracle today that I may be as loving as I can. May I realize the joy that's in your eyes and um, live in every moment without question. Mm. And that becomes different, you know, as I sing it, I sort of skip a few words out, you know. May I realize the joy and live in every moment. So I'm not necessarily sort of finishing the rest of those phrases. But you know what? It's, it's really interesting because that song carries me. And, and you know, that's what's actually going on with one of the questions that you asked at the beginning was about um, what do you see about yourself that makes you you? And I see myself as being a space holder. Um, there was something about here. It's what music does to me, I think. Um, yeah. Maybe it was something else. I've been doing so many interviews recently. It could have been something else entirely.
0: Yeah, let's talk about what's going on for you. (laughs) Like, what are the things that you're up to these days?
1: Well, I just put in my Creative New Zealand application and I had the magnificent Margot Wong help me. Like, she was bottom wiping me through the the whole process, which was so, so generous. (laughs) Because to be honest with you, (laughs) I can't access the portal. It's all on spreadsheets. I can't do Excel. It's just... Mm. it's even for sighted and and sort of other people, it's hella hard because mm. you've actually got one day and they had a record breaking amount of uh submissions all come in to reach their two hundred and fifty submissions within twenty four hours. Wow. And you're constantly looking at the portal, seeing how many people have completed their submissions wow. and you're still doing yours? Oh Jesus no. I mean that's just, just too too anxiety provoking. Wow. But God bless that I was actually allowed an extension, which I felt incredibly guilty about because I thought, oh, no, I don't want the special treatment because that makes me feel like I'm less of a functional human, Okay. you know. And so I felt really bad about that. And I thought, but what about all my dyslexic friends and everyone else? And I thought that wasn't fair. But they are rejigging the situation. God bless. They're actually changing the whole thing so it's more accessible.
2: Yay!
1: Okay, so it will happen. But also the magnificent Acosta Botes is actually – It's not Botes, it's Boats, isn't it? No. It is Botes. It's
2: Botes. A Botes? Oh, good God, I've only just (laughs) found out how to say your
1: name. Okay, we've (laughs) actually got, while we're doing this podcast, we've got his camera focused on me the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he has been not ghosting me in a really creepy way, um, but he's doing a feature-length film, a documentary about me.
0: Amazing. Amazing.
1: Which is kind of freaky, and I have been through all of the self-doubt saying, I'm not interesting and, and, and apparently he's going to make me look really interesting. And when <laughs> he came to the gig, you and your wife came to the ticket gig and, um, and said, oh, you know, if she's putting out, this will be interesting. You know, a lot of people like – Lynn Larkin has a song, You Should Be a Star in Las Vegas, but instead I'm sleeping in Grey They say you should be a star in Las Vegas. Oh, my you know? God. And it's so true because, in fact, all of that song that was written in the 80s still rings true. For uh, This is the lyric, for a hundred lousy bucks, gee, it was a bummer. And it <laughs> still is. It
2: <laughs> still is.
1: That's actually what they pay. Like when I was gigging in the States. Oh, my God. They pay a hundred bucks each.
2: Jesus.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually that was for one set you know, at the jazz club, but in New Zealand, it's like three sets. We have three hour gigs, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think what would be really lovely about what's happening right now is a representation. Cause mm-hmm. I actually do believe that more blind need to be on screen for sure. Cause we ain't got none, mm-hmm. none, none. Okay. And also this idea that the idiom of film itself is, is a visual medium as opposed to audiovisual. Mm-hmm. It is so audiovisual and that's the reason why, as I said before, I love going to particularly documentaries because I can see the world as it is, which I wouldn't actually get access to. But, you know, I think, so, I think sighted people do actually not have a conception or realisation of how powerful the hearing, the intimate hearing sense is. It gives you everything. It gives you where you are. It gives you um, people's breathing. It gives you, their if they're making sound, it will indicate their body tension that you wouldn't know about if you were just looking at them. You wouldn't know how much body tension someone was holding if you were just looking at them. You wouldn't know what they're feeling. You wouldn't know their emotions. But communication is only 7% the words it's 55 percent body language which is then heard so that's mm. why i'm saying the body language is heard it's not just something that's seen because that's how it affects the voice and the intonation of the voice yes so you know oh, i know I people it. were going to say body language but that's looking at someone no it's actually it's so much more than that yeah because a lot of people are incredibly well versed at suppressing and going poker face mm-hmm. and how are you going to get your body language from that Ah. yeah so anyway that's what's going on and also then later in the year if I get the funding I'll be recording a double album of the 20 songs that I've written since You Have Reached Your Destination was recorded in 2009 which still isn't prolific but you know what I'm really looking forward to also getting a, a online course for singing to come out for those people who don't feel comfortable or can't access one-on-one singing lessons because Mm -hmm. i I love teaching remotely it's an absolute joy um and i just love teaching because it jizzes me up so much um like i feel more identified as a teacher i will even say people say to people i teach better than i sing because i really really that's saying something have to i have had to get so under the hood of the mechanics of my voice because of so much voice loss Mm. And just absolutely knowing how it works, I have to go in there and do very, very pit stop, quick repairs as well. You know, for my own performance and for students that are like, you know, invariably they'll, you know, come. There was one student who's from a very, very notable band, and he, um, he hadn't had what he considered botched surgery on his voice. Oh, and he hadn't sung in ten months, but he had a gig. In, in like a week's time and that's when he comes for a lesson. It's like, dude, I met you at a party and offered my services a month ago. You know what I'm saying? It, it's yeah. those things I know where I can be of most benefit yeah. to others and I am, as I said, evangelical about it. But follow the fold, tambourines, yes, Salvation Army styles.
0: <laughs> that's me. So you were, I'm just riffing off of what you just said because you mentioned he so, when I think about you teaching, I think about the significant aspects of what women's bodies go through. Mm. Um, you know, you you've spoken at length to what um, the kind of perimenopausal menopausal experience mm-hmm. was for you and mm-hmm. how that affected mm-hmm. your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just about women's bodies. Mm. You you approach it from uh, old gender.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Of course. I mean, like you know, I, I actually think we should approach everything in a gender neutral way. Nice. Um, because you know it's not just women going through menopause it's men going through andropause and that is really really misunderstood because we we can tell so much by in fact one of my voice students who transitioned female to male mm-hmm. um, was able to give me incredible insight as to how the testosterone was the only thing that gave them self-confidence wow. they'd never felt self-confidence before wow. because we as women do not have the amount of testosterone that's in body mm-hmm. uh, within male bodies but you know now Naturally. And, but the thing is, a lot of people who, um, through illness or, 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 or aging or transition, will actually be men who are then having to deal with the lessening testosterone, but maybe even more female hormones, are finding the emotional <laughs> tumult really hard to navigate, you know, and that's an interesting thing. I think we all need to deal with all of that because, Agreed. you know, in singing one of the things I've written about is, is exactly how the, the change affects your voice mm-hmm. with men- specifically speaking to menopause. But also one of the ones is about emotional overload when you feel as if you'll be drowned in your emotions and you have to somehow manage them and get stability and surf your emotions mm. and swim around in it and get control. So that's something that I also really, really speak to Um I think that's that is very. I think we have big problems when we become too gender focused and gender biased. I mean, absolutely, with um, navigating the break in the voice, that shit's going to happen when, uh, when in in male puberty and in female puberty as well. Mm-hmm. So it might be just at specific times for women, but it will speak to everyone at different stages of their lives so that's when you're actually trying to smooth over the break in your voice yeah you know which is really pronounced when you're an early teenager (laughs) um but you've got to work with that stuff and you know and and get real about it as well i mean the blend of the registers is a really interesting also part of obviously of what i teach is so vast i mean the voice is so vast the blend
0: of the register
1: yeah I like that. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. Okay, so your voice breaks often, and for women it's a C-sharp, for men it's an F-sharp, invariably. And it means that when you sing higher than that note, your voice will be just like breathy and high. It's called head voice as opposed to being what might be called belt. Mm. Belt quality or legit voice. And in musical theatre, therefore, they do not write for the female voice over a because you know that it's really safe. But what's really cool about it is you can work. There's an urgency if you're um, singing.
2: Hard <sighs> on the run, keeps a hand on the gun, can't trust anyone. I was so sure what I needed was more I could shoot out. Days that we rage. We flew off the page And such damage was done Ah, uh, But I made it through Cause somebody knew That I was meant for someone Here's what I was gonna demonstrate uh, And so boy, you leave your By the bed, we ain't leaving. Someone needs medical help All the magnolias bloom. Uh, it's cold in this house And I ain't going out to chop wood No, no, no. Cover me up and know you're enough going into the chorus where you're "Mm." You're on the
1: C, which is as far as you're going to comfortably get it out there. And it's just like so many people use it in a really affected way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's disingenuous. It's just, you know, of course your voice is going to get louder the higher you sing, okay, because the frequencies are going to project more, right? That's the reason why when I was singing low, it's very quiet. But, you know, but there's just so much joy of realizing, woo, I've actually got a birthright of four octaves in the female voice.
0: Oh. And that's true.
1: All female voices have four octaves within the capacity of that centimeter of vibrating ligament. And so all we need to do is massage the edges of singing higher and lower. And for my lowest stuff, what I've realized from post-menopause is that I can sing lower than I ever thought. So I'm definitely an octave and a half. For sh- I mean, sorry, <laughs> three and a half octaves probably more like three and three quarter octaves and that's more than you need really it is is overkill but it's so much fun to sing stupid high Mm -hmm. you know because you know there are certain songs of mine where I actually just play with how high I can sing Mm -hmm. and you know that's just not something to be afraid of but I think a lot of people end up with a a broken voice and a non-blended registers because they think well there's no way that they can access that voice higher than the breaking point in the voice. And it's weird because one of my students who was 11 at the time, I don't know why, but she broke this, this black key off the piano, was holding it up. It's like, how the hell do you do that? I was actually teaching her and playing the piano at the same time. How do you actually do that? But I sellotaped it back. But it's so funny because it's so representative and metaphorical. Wow. Because that is the breaking point of the female voice
2: oh
1: anyway so there's that oh that's amazing Mm. but I'll just give you singing lessons anyway so you can find out what's going on
0: oh watch the space people okay (laughs) or or um be open to the space because it's not about watching
2: Uh, (laughs) listen to this space yes
0: yes keep your ears open oh Caitlin oh we've gone we've gone so many places in this one did was there anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't covered
2: I don't
1: think so no, we're good. I mean, there was actually a lot of those questions that were really, um, oh, three moments in your life that have musically defined oh, you. Oh,
0: oh yes, let's do that one. Yes. I super love that question. What were three yeah. moments in your life that have musically defined you?
1: Well, you know, what was one was very recent. In fact, some of them are quite recent, was when I was in Portland singing to an audience of people who'd come to see me with Grammy award winning amazing musicians that would just put the band together and we'd only had like an hour rehearsal. Wow. Um, And I realized that I was fluent in the language of jazz. Mm
0: -hmm. I was a native
1: speaker of jazz, even though Mm -hmm. I don't identify as that. I identify myself as a song poet, story singer. So I'm more into the sort of singer songwriter thing. Mm -hmm. I write songs, everyone, not I'm singing the jazz standards and I'm scatting. So then I realized I'm more feral and I even shared that with the audience, you know, self-defining. I said, I'm, you've heard of feral cats. I, I do feral scat, you know. that, was, <laughs> and, and made everyone actually sort of, it opened them up a lot, which, mm. which I felt less judged because, I mean, the drummer is like Kurt Alling's ex-freaking drummer. i oh, my God, whatever, <laughs> you know. And so it was really, really a, a, a beautiful defining moment for me to be on that stage and to feel legitimate. Mm. Because, you know, the thing is about I didn't go through jazz school. I'm from a punk background, you know, and um, I don't feel, therefore, as if I am legit and I'm always the kind of behind-the-scenes, unseen person. And so that was a defining moment. Another defining moment for me was actually in 2000 when I was a soloist in a, um, with the APO at the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra singing the songs of um Mavis uh, Rivers who was an amazing Samoan uh, jazz singer and I was standing backstage and I'd rehearsed as much as I could and I just had this microphone that I realized no alcohol could save me no more preparation could save me no more nothing could save me I just was that person about to do this gig to the best of my abilities. And as soon as I brought the microphone to my lips and started singing, everything was fine, Mm. you know. But that's the crazy thing about living with an addictive personality that I have is it's so much easier to take the edge off with drugs and alcohol, which is the reason why I have so much space that I hold for my community, for anyone in particular who wants to give up I will support them through it because I'm 14 years clean and sober, which is also, you know, that Jason Isbell, a little sample of a song that I had there. I sobered up and I swore off that stuff forever this time. You know, amazing, amazing person who speaks to that. That is a community. And the recovery community can offer a lot of sort of a template for setting up peer support for songwriters, which is also what I really, really want to do. That's one of my big dreams. I've got so many big dreams and they are big, but I really, really hope that I can actually achieve them. Um, And so that was the second moment of just nothing else can prepare me for this, this is exactly where I am and I'm just going to have to do the do, talk about present. And the third one, remind myself, was, um, oh, yeah, what happened on the last Arts on Tour thing, which was even though I was having a month-long panic attack, it was incredible the amount of uh, resonance And transformation and connection that was felt with me and an audience because I'd been presented in the right way because I was the person saying this is my, um, you know, these are my musical uh, parents, Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen. These are my originals. And so I was basically just presenting how I wished to be seen mm. and heard. So I felt like everyone got that because they were there for the right reasons, mm. as well as explaining that this is the promotion of my new album, which has Braille on the front cover, so there were blind people in attendance wherever we went to these tiny little towns for Arts on Tour. But then I had to convince the band to tell me, you know, because I was doing this gig in Reefton and there was a, a blind guy who I saw a show on um, Attitude Television about him. So, but he didn't know me, uh, but he came along to the gig. And I didn't know he was there because I didn't see that he was there. He was using a cane. He wasn't using a, a guide dog. Now, when I had two peeps from um, Deaf Blind Aotearoa in Nelson, mm-hmm. they came up, they introduced themselves. They wanted to meet me. We wanted to talk. We, would, we were just like besties for life after that they had their guide dogs and harnesses and i could hear them and they were in the front row and they were very present so i had to school the band to say hey guys i can't see if a blind person's there please tell me because this is actually part of what we're trying to do is raise consciousness and and band together Mm -hmm. because there's so much isolation blind can't see blind we walk down the street we don't see people we have to trust that the people who know us will say hey caitlin it's whoever because you know i've been in the city a long long time and 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 yet, most sighted people would be going, "Hey, whoever, and oh, what's up?" But I can't do that unless they approach me. Right. So it's very one-sided, and and therefore I can also go for a, a walk and feel incredibly lonely because I'm not seeing anybody. And uh, yeah, that those are the things that the isolation of blindness is is one of the drawbacks. I've got to say, but it wouldn't be if we can share that because yeah. whenever you've got that lived shared experience, it's it's so.
0: It's beautiful. It really is. Oh. Mm. Yeah? Thank you. You're welcome. Oh,
1: did you want me to speak to the three projects that nourish me? Yeah. Okay. I wrote Teaching, Performing with Amazing Musicians, and The Revelation That Comes from Writing. Oof. Um... And I've said, you know, how does my audience get nourished? I've said, if the music nourishes me, it'll nourish them too. Yes, which is also my feeling. Um, What lights me up? Dancing, laughter, spiritual connection, real talk, (laughs) and what have I said had to say goodbye to? Security, having a family, being heard or understood, and anything to do with having money, i.e., travel. (laughs) We're done. Thank you for going through those <laughs> questions. <laughs> I kind of had to. It's kind of I, I I prefer to know in advance what to speak to because mm. then I can actually make it more guided. It's like answering any questions, you know. It's so much. It's so much better if you know. I mean, I can do the ad
0: hoc stuff absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's a wrap. Well. I'd be remiss if I didn't voice some gratitude. Um, Gratitude first to you, dear Caitlin. And gratitude to the stories and harmonies waiting to be sung, yet to be written, and those we know in our hearts so well. Gratitude to the aching heartfelt connection of music and the reverberations of connectedness. Gratitude to the blue-green earth and all its inhabitants, and to the skies beyond that influence and pull. I'm grateful for love, pleasure, compassion, trust, hope, resilience, bravery, and boldness. And I'm grateful for strong women who inspire me and steady men that ground me and to the wondrous beings that defy the binary and teach me to question old habits and assumptions. I'm grateful for life as well as death. For the ancestors that dwell within these bones and whisper on the wind, I'm grateful for the alchemical process of change. And lastly, I'm grateful for those of you who are listening to this podcast and to Bjorn for producing it. Matewa, till next time, I love you.